Is what the truck and I'm Dooner. That's Michael Vincent, the dude. What's up, man? Hey, it's a beautiful summer day again, right? Hey, the heat is gone finally. Yeah, it has. Do you it, checking out any Olympics over the weekend? Well, I was just going to thank you for the reminder to tell me to check in on Krista Palmer. She, oh Krista yeah, Palmer. She she medaled, right? She got a she bronze rocked. medal, and I just believe it was the first U.S. bronze medal in what twenty years. So first women's individual medal since twenty since two thousand. It's sort of 20 years, 21 yeah, years. 20 yeah, Beautiful years. stuff. Hey, yeah. we've even got a guest in studio today, so we're going to kick right to it because we've got a jam-packed show, and we're going to get deep into what's going on in Ocean Freight, the Ocean Carriers. I was watching a bunch of heist movies over the weekend, including Heat and uh, the Director's Cut of the Town. I don't know if you knew this, but there's like a two-hour and 50-minute-long Director's Cut of the Town. Ooh, no, um, really? And we're going to be talking about the other heist going on, what's going on in Ocean huh. Freight with shippers and uh, you know, John Monroe from John Monroe Consulting. will set us straight there. Um, <laughs> before we jump to our guest, we've got to tip the band. Autonomous trucks are coming. With huge potential windfall. If you're ready to seize it, start re engineering your supply chain for autonomy today. Connect uh, Locomation at locomation.ai for a turnkey solution. That's a new one this month. I was used to it. It is. I, w- I had the other one, one memorized. I'm going to have to memorize this one. This is <laughs> no, locomation.ai immediately after the show. We'll crush that one Sounds next good. time. Well, hey, yeah. guess who's in studio? And she brought us uh, She brought us some of these breakfast sandwiches, too. Do you Check really want me to out. guess? or Check these things out. It's Asha Abalasha. She is the founder and CEO of Mason Dixon Foods. She's on a southern tour right now. Asha. Thanks for joining us in the studio. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about this Southern tour that you're on and what brings you down to Chattanooga. Yeah, so, you know, when we really launched this breakfast sandwich that's in your little bags, it was a change for good. Basically, I was sick and tired of people having to eat um, the Evil Cowboys alternative to what is supposed to be a breakfast sandwich. Um, So we changed it up. It's all natural. We actually use a real egg, uh, limited ingredient formula, everything you can pronounce on the back. Um, And to me, you know, the trucking industry, freight industry is really close to home. My dad was a freight trucker. Um, I actually worked on autonomous trucking initiatives, too, back in the day when I was consulting in the uh, automotive space. Um, And I really think it's sickening that, you know, our folks in the supply chain industry are eating, you know, three meals a day out of a gas station. So this is my hope and dream is to change that dynamic, offer up homemade quality meals, but with the convenience of microwavability um, and, and, you know, being able to find it anywhere, really. Well, I'm holding up one of these breakfast sandwiches that you brought. I personally haven't opened mine yet. I'm a vegetarian, by the way. This is a breakfast. Okay. This is, are you, you got Beyond we options coming out? We make too. Okay, well, this is the Mason Dixon's cheddar breakfast sandwich. With uh, It's a sausage sandwich. So tell us what makes this different than, like, any other breakfast sandwich we'd find at a rest stop. All right. So believe it or not, those nasty cowboy ones are filled with preservatives, bleach, um, the meat's bleach. all, oh, bleach, bleach is definitely a main ingredient. Wow. <laughs> um, it helps things stay whiter than they're supposed to be. You know, the egg, even our egg, it's actually certified by the, um, incredible edible egg people. Ooh, um, ooh. because believe it or not, most of the eggs that you get in food service, quick serve are oil whipped with egg protein. So it's not even an egg. Oh, and kind of like a fake mayonnaise. Oh, rubber oh thing. yeah, totally. Everything's fake. Mm. Um, I think when we listed the ingredients, I think there's like almost a hundred, um, in that cowboy Sausage biscuit, but then in ours, you know, it's basically seven ingredients for the. I like the way she refers to them as the evil cowboy. I'm being being careful, right? Um, But no, and then even our even our sausage, it's uh, pork sausage, nitrate free, um, super good for you. So 
you know, 17 grams of protein, 350 calories or less. I mean, we really tried to bang in all the reasons why people want to change the way they eat. And personally, I believe everyone deserves access to better for you food. Um, so that I was one of the biggest that. things. I, everybody deserves access to <laughs> so so why are you making this what qualifies you to make good food how does one get in the biscuit hustle yeah so, yeah so my parents used to own a small southern carryout um when i was little and i grew up around it i you know grew up on chitlins collard greens the whole nine um and i was sick and tired of like going into restaurants and realizing it was nothing like the homemade quality southern cuisine we're supposed to be growing up with and i and i hate that the global image of southern cuisine is kfc and popeyes like Whose grandma cooks like that? Although like no. Popeyes is pretty solid. I it it is solid, but you know we could be doing better, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, skillet fried chicken. Nobody does that, you know. So I think there's there's this opportunity to change the dynamic of what we think that is. I, I think it's a sacrilege that America's only cuisine, Southern cuisine, has been militarized to the point of non-recognizable ingredients and low nutritional value. <laughs> Um, and honestly, I mean, we're in the South. It's some of the lowest income areas in the country, and they're forced to eat that dog crap. So, you know, I really want to change that dynamic and make sure that people have access to stuff they're supposed to be putting in their bodies. Yeah, you've mentioned um, you mentioned on this LinkedIn post that I'm looking at that you are out here on the Southern Tour fighting food insecurity. You kind of just touched on that. So how are you yeah. doing that? Yeah, so we've been partnering with um, a lot of POC-owned businesses in up-and-coming areas, not necessarily the best downtown high-foot traffic zones coming out of COVID, right? It's, it's hard right now for a lot of people. We've donated to a lot of um, low-income-oriented uh, food stability organizations, anyone from homelessness programs to um, the other day we were actually at the store in Nashville. It's an awesome initiative. It's a free grocery store. You shop like a normal person shops, you go check out, you just don't put any cash down. And it's a phenomenal thing that Brad Paisley and Kimberly uh, Paisley started. Um, and I think we should have more of those. There's really no excuse for people not to be able to eat today. Wow, that is tremendous stuff. Yeah, that, that is really, really tremendous. Cool. So how, how, how that's got to be difficult to make quality stuff like this, yeah. like this thing, and, and but also low cost. Yes. Right? I would think that they do also all those other like 100 ingredients because they're cheaper or did they just do it because it's easier? Well, you know, the interesting thing is I think that we started out as a biscuit company in bread, yeah. but it's going to take a biscuit company to change how the protein industry is operating. So oh. Tyson's is humongous. They own some of the most unsustainable animal welfare practices in the world. Um, and they don't really care about you. They just care about their bottom line. I do. So being small, being nimble, um, and being a baker, I've been able to work with some of the largest family-owned uh, protein manufacturers in the country who want to do this. They want to bring this to bear, but they didn't have anybody that wanted to buy the product because Tyson's yeah. wasn't. So, you know, I'm happy that I get the chance to do this. Um, we've had overwhelming response. We have some really exciting announcements coming up. Um, we have a huge hospitality client that is about to take these by storm, um, putting our biscuit sandwiches, our biscuits, our scones in 2,500 hotels across the country. Um, hopefully I get to tell you about that later, Junior. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's the thing. I think people have been waiting for this, and I'm really excited to be able to offer it up for the first time. Yeah, well, I mean, look, reefer rate's been super high, so a little bit on your supply chain here in terms of moving these sandwiches around. Have you been experiencing anything we've been talking to a lot of shippers about in terms of supply chain disruptions, trouble securing capacity, elevated rates, hitting the bottom line, any of that kind of thing? So I will say we're a little bit lucky in that we're not experiencing a lot of the international supply chain challenges yeah. that are happening at all the port cities around America right now. We are 100% made in America, so that's been very helpful, and we keep a super tight supply chain, and I wish more people did because it's a lot easier to get your local freight partners to come through and pick up an order um, than it is to do, you know, a transnational trip. 
Um, but I will say we are still distributed. We are still frozen. There are a lot of challenges around that. I mean, man, peak of uh, COVID vaccination time, it was impossible to get a truck. I mean, everybody was yeah. looking for frozen freight. Um, if they had to ship massive quantities of those vaccines around because everyone forgets they have to be frozen or refrigerated. So um, reefer shipping has been challenging, but we have an awesome team at Mason-Dixie. We've been phenomenally working with all of our partners, making sure that we're consolidating as many loads as we can, um, not to run empty trucks halfway through. We have other partners that we ship with on the LTL routes to make sure that we are, you know, being efficient too and being conscious of how hard this is right now. Excellent stuff. So, Asha, dad was a trucker. Yeah. Am I going to see high-quality roller dogs here in my future? I <laughs> hope so. I hope roller dogs, corn dogs, hot pockets. I mean, you name it. I want to do it all. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so where can we pick one of these up? So someone's listening to this now. They're like, yes. man, this really got my appetite going. We are at we are at lunchtime. I like Yeah. Yeah. So ah, Breakfast is not just for <laughs> breakfast anymore. It's not. It's all day. Yeah. Um, we're available on Whole Foods Nationwide, Publix, um, also coming soon soon to um, Safeway Albertsons. Um, a ton of convenience stores are about to launch this fall. And then, like I said, hopefully I'll get an exciting announcement for you guys about um, who we're, who we're going to be offering the products to for free breakfast at a major hotel chain coming up. Well, I'll okay. give you exactly what you're offering but, or what you want, but I want a dollar uh, royalty in perpetuity. Hey, hey. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh I'm the sorry. Truck shark Tank. I'm He's sorry. A businessman over here. <laughs> hey, Asher, we thank you so much for stopping thank by you. and bringing uh, ourselves and the staff this. Uh, good luck with your Southern tour. I know that you're flying out back to Baltimore pretty soon, so we yeah. won't keep you held up any longer but once you have that news on where these will be available for that that free program let us know absolutely we're all excited thank you guys for having me thank you thank you awesome wow. stuff yeah i love when guests step by, stop by and you out there if you want to stop by freight alley our, our studio is back open so it feel is. free to come by anytime that's right that's Just let right us know first Just don't drop by unannounced you know who is announced, though, who let us know he's coming trent broberg ceo over at assertus trent what is going on today Oh, oh, you're uh, you're muted, Trent. How are you doing, guys? There we go. There Trent, you, you feeling like a breakfast sandwich now? Uh, yeah, I was uh, really interested. There's bleach in some of the foods I eat, so I'm probably going to get a little more certainty around that. And plastic. Did they hear a, a politician call that a COVID cure, though? I don't know. We might need it now with the Delta variant. Um, <laughs> who knows? Well, Trent, let's get into it. Trent, there's a vehicle vehicle surge is coming, right? There's su- the, the, the supply chain is such a mess. We're talking about vehicles. You go to buy a used car. It almost costs as much as a new car. Semiconductor shortages, all of this. I know your company specializes in the movement of automobiles, so set the table for us. Tell us what we're, what we're kind of seeing out there and what you're experiencing. Yeah, as we kind of talked about last time, there's still uh, a definite shortage of chips out there, the supply chain, not just the ships, but foam and some other rubber uh, materials out there uh, creating a, a definite shortage in OEM or new car sales. So what's happened, obviously, is it's gone to the remarketing channels. Most uh, users are, are most, most consumers are purchasing from the remarketing channels or the used channels. I think what's happening right now is you're starting to see a little bit of lightning. I saw the administration trying to pass some bills and, and a few reports that came out where chips are actually starting to start flowing through these OEMs. So we're going to see a little bit of lightning here in Q3 and Q4 is going to be on fire. So you're th- so the backup and demand is going to let loose here pretty soon is what you're predicting, right? Yeah, I think most of the dealership groups, uh, a lot of the other uh, digital platforms out there aren't quite purchasing as many used vehicles as they have been over the last few quarters. I think in anticipation for the OEMs to start producing vehicles uh, again. So I think that there's going to be a, a shift back into some of the OEM purchasing um, that we've seen, you know, historically. 
So when you're talking about like uh, the major fleets, we saw record uh, class eight sales and so on that were going on, and all those are backed up and coming through. There's major orders coming through there. Part of your business, if I'm not mistaken, is making sure you're IFTA compliant, et cetera, as well. Is that going to be a, a big surge in that in that area of your business as well? Yeah, with that, that's kind of the B2B play, obviously, with fleet management companies out there managing, uh, whether it be large fleets or, or fleets for you know major drug pharmaceutical companies, um, Amazon, things like that. You know, they're all have to be IFTA compliance. There's a compliance component to everything we do. So there'll be a continued surge in that, obviously, as we're bringing on new titling services. So uh, new vehicle titling or, or renewals for uh, transfer titles, things like that. Absolutely. Hey Trent, tell us a little bit about the uh, tell us a little bit about what Assertus does right now too, and why you have this insight on the market. Yeah, our, our primary focus we're a digital platform uh, focused on logistics for finished vehicles. So we really focus on anytime you're moving a vehicle, we support that, we store it, we register it, we title it, um, and everywhere in between. So we're dealing with OEMs, getting information from OEMs. We're dealing with large dealership groups, and we're uh, dealing with auction houses and all the digital platforms out there. So tell us about the supply chain and the way you guys are moving this. What kind of disruption have you guys uh, seen? Obviously, you're using various various means, right? Rail and truck, et cetera, to move these. Yeah, it's very similar to the freight market. I come from about 20 years on the freight side. So what you're seeing in the automotive logistics space is very similar. It's a carrier capacity constraint. Rates are through the roof. Obviously, it's a carrier's market, as we're seeing in the freight side. Very analogous to flatbed, the flatbed market. Uh, so we're seeing a lot of the same challenges pull through there. All the fleets that we're dealing with, obviously, they're having challenges purchasing assets, uh, given you know the chip shortages and things like that. So, so it's very similar to the freight market that we see yeah. today. I've been reading a uh, a few different um, people I know who work at carriers on, on LinkedIn. Recently, the message that I keep hearing is that the number one problem that a lot of carriers are facing now is when something goes wrong with the truck is for repairs because of this Ooh. big shortage in yeah. parts. Um, I don't know if you touch the parts side of the supply chain, but these things seem kind of all interrelated right now, don't they, Trent? Yeah, absolutely. And that's true with your own vehicle. If you take your car into the dealership, I know personally I had a, I took my truck into the dealership. It took a week and a half to fix, which normally would take probably same day or next day because they could make it overnight parts. So it's, it's through the, the entire supply chain we're seeing challenges. I, I, I've talked to a lot of people that believe that this will continue through 2022 or into 2022, given the demand that's pent up right now for new vehicles. So a lot of dealership groups, FMCs, are purchasing or pre-buying vehicles ahead of uh, a potential Delta variant issue or other supply chain disruptions, so they're not stuck with uh, limited supply right now. Oh, yeah. So they're looking forward to possible disruption because of the Delta variant. That's very, very interesting. Have you seen a, have you seen a, a change in, in new versus uh, used vehicles uh, during this pandemic? Yeah, big time. So where, where most consumers would be purchasing uh, OEM vehicles or new vehicles, they've kind of switched because they've had to to purchase OEMs. If you look at the rental car agencies, they're keeping uh, their fleets to 40, 50,000 miles. They're actually acquiring used vehicles to put into their fleet. So if your jobs are traveling uh, and you're renting a car, that's most likely going to have a lot of miles on it. And it might actually have been purchased from an auction or even an end consumer and some sort of reverse logistics component that we're providing. 
Yeah, I rented a car in Boston. It was uh, a little pricey. It's a little pricey, but Budget. they were available. It's the line. You, so you didn't have to like rent a U-Haul truck and drive. No, around. I didn't have to do what they were doing over in Hawaii. <laughs> it's uh, it's not that bad. Okay. So we we think about the Delta variant, right? We we think about you know yeah. manufacturers getting their models out for the end of the year. You're thinking about these rental car manufacturers that you mentioned. Um, beyond just pushing out, because everyone's doing that now. We're all saying, ah, oh, it's going to be 2022 until we see anything. Yeah. What uh, what should we prepare for if we're in this space leading up until the end of the year? Yeah, I think uh, there, there's a lot to be said. Very similar to the freight market. Obviously, capacity is going to continue to, to be constrained. I think rates have kind of leveled off, just like in the freight environment. So we're seeing that within a lot of our purchasing of, uh, you know, our purchase trends side of the business. But there's still plenty of opportunity. I think with the auto logistics space, it's a little more challenging to get equipment. So if you think about those nine cars out there, there's only a few manufacturers that are that are actually uh, producing those. So what you're seeing is a resurgence of hot shots. You know, wedge trailers, three-car trailers, things like that. So there's a big gig economy opportunity here for people to get out there in the space, uh, not just in the freight environment, but if you have a flatbed or you've got some sort of trailer that can haul um, finished vehicles, including, you know, step decks and flatbeds that are typically reserved for the freight environment, you could actually look towards uh, finished vehicle moves as an opportunity to make some money. Yeah, I was going to transition. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask you how, how that logistics has changed for you guys with the new vehicles moving from uh, – is the proliferation and more people buying cars online and, and, and not actually going to the dealership? Has that changed your logistics there? Yeah, so we, we had an independent study we, we hosted last year where uh, 80% of respondents said that they were okay with purchasing a vehicle online. I don't think that that's reality. I think that there's still a lot of uh, opportunity here. But I think what, what has proven true in COVID uh, is that, that people are out there looking and they're, they are purchasing from Carvana and Broom and a lot of these remarketing channels. So the OEMs are now transitioning their look into how can they provide a final mile or a reverse logistics component to, what they, to, to their business. And that includes subscription modeling uh, with vehicles, as, as some of these OEMs have tried and pulled back. But I think those will, those will come back into fruition. And then actually, a, you know, an acquisition from the OEM through the dealership, but, but a home delivery. That's going to be that's happening today with a lot of the EVs out there. Uh, we're doing a lot of those those uh, white glove delivery to homes. So I think it's just a difference in consumer buying behavior. So what should we tell listeners who are impacted by this and, and who want to use your services? Where should they go? What should the next step be? And, and how can you give them a little bit more insight on this? Yeah, if you're, uh, if you're looking for more information, you can always go to assertusdelivers.com. That's always a great source for redesigning our website, which continue to, to provide more information on the finished vehicle logistics market. You can always reach out to us, but really what it is is you've got this capacity constraint, just like on the freight environment side, where we're trying to drive efficiencies through data science and logistics. So if you're moving cars, whether it be dealership groups, whether it be uh, you know your personal moves, things like that, you know, Sardis can help you in, in many ways, not just in the car move side, but we can actually deliver to a home white glove service with a, with a the branded polo shirt uh, and plates on the vehicle, which is very unique. Wow. We have to send us some of those shirts, Trent. Thank you very much for yeah. joining us on the show today. We really appreciate it. And hey, hopefully we see you out here November, uh, what, 8th to 10th at F3, the Future I'll Freight Festival. All right. Awesome. We'll, we'll catch you in Chattanooga, I'll brother. Take it easy. Have a good one. Thanks, Trent. Man, always good to see Trent. It really is. Yeah. He said subscription cars. <sighs> I might need one. I need one this would, morning. Would it be cool you sign up for a car of the month? 
I just take this one back and give me another one. Well, isn't that what like all these like these like meal in a box companies did? Like they they just took the Jelly of the Month Club yeah. and they they said, oh, you have a website now instead of calling a one eight hundred number. It's the same thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, how, how is that any different than what has been going on? I don't know. You know what we got now? The gift that keeps on all right, giving. Let's attack all year. this ocean freight market. It's the, a mess. You know, shippers are angry. Let's get uh, it fixed. There's actually a shipper that's trying to sue, and this might seem funny to some people. For guess what, Michael Vincent? What? For uh, carriers not honoring their contracts. Yeah. You heard that one before? Wait, that's insane. <laughs> Ocean contract that means anything what? in this world? Oh, man. John Monroe. We don't uh, have that Monroe problem. Consulting in... is with us. John, it's a mess out there, isn't it? Absolutely, uh, Tim. And thank you for having me uh, on this show. It's been a mess for quite some time, though, so it's nothing new. Uh, what's really surprising is that companies haven't really uh, pushed back before now. What do you think? Because one of the top stories on Freightways right now is U.S. company sues collusive ocean carriers alleging price manipulation. And it's um, you got to read this story closely because the company is called MCS Industries, but they're suing MSC. MSC, right? As I'm reading the story, I had to keep like reminding myself of that. But mm. the story kind of ends on that they're mad. They're mad that they're not honoring contracts. But this is something that is not without precedence. I mean, um, shippers don't honor contracts when it's in their favor. Ocean carriers don't honor contracts when it's in theirs. However, we're seeing, you know, if you've seen that hockey stick of rates where it went from like 7,000 to 18,000 or whatever, it, it's pretty massive. Well, actually, if you go back about a, about a year and three months ago, the rates were at $1,500 to the West Coast. And, and now they're pushing $20,000 to the West Coast. So you're, you're talking about a 10 to 12, 13% increase in rates in a short period of time. You know, when the contracts were concluded this year, uh, you know, end of April, beginning of May, uh, all of a sudden from June 1st on, I think there's been like four or five sets of GRIs in a PSS. And what has happened is the carriers have really uh, created a lot of additional charges. Um, but if you go back and you look at the carrier earnings reports, first quarter of this year, um, they exceeded all of last year. Last year was a record year for earnings. First quarter of this year, they blew out the entire year and expect the same thing to happen with second quarter. So we're, we're talking about Facebook, Microsoft-type earnings this year. Um, you know, as I joke to a friend of mine, if they get tired of their ID, IT department, just buy Microsoft. Uh, it's, it's really that crazy. It's insane. Hey, John, let me ask you this about the capacity issue and about this, this lawsuit, because if I read the lawsuit right, and I'm no lawyer, I don't, and I don't even play one on TV, but it sounds to me like they're saying, hey, you guaranteed me this capacity. You have this capacity, but you're not giving it to me because you can sell it to somebody else and you're not allowed to. Unlike trucking, where it's kind of like implied capacity. If you have these loads and if I have the trucks, then it'll be this rate. Is there a big difference there between the trucking capacity guaranteed and the, and the shipping? I, I think there is. Uh, let, let's put it this way. You know, in order to get space on a carrier, you, you really just about have to have a contract. Uh, you, know, you know, a contract gives you a minimum quantity commitment, what we call an MQC. And what the carriers do is they divide that by 52, and that's your weekly allocation. Uh, for this year, this is the first year, I think, that carriers have budgeted for um, fixed rate MQCs, which is your contract, but also these premium charges. So, you know, I, I, I really caught this in, you know, Zim just went public, their, their 2020 earnings report that they came out with, where, where they inferred, they told their investors that they budgeted for um, uh, uh, FAK, which read premium charges, 
which you're talking about FAK plus, plus, plus. So you're talking about the $18,000 rates. Um, in the past, carriers just signed contracts and then you know, they, they filled the, the rest with spot rates. Mm -hmm. uh, but now those spot rates, they're focused more on spot rates than, than the fixed rates. So a company like MCS has X amount of MQC, and I don't know what their MQC is, on fixed rates that are, that are probably about $3,000. And now all of a sudden, they're not getting the allocation, so it's pushing them to the premium rates. Mm -hmm. And I, I think in the fourth quarter of 2020, every CEO and, and CFO in America that was importing, which is most everybody, um, woke up to the fact that, my God, my, you know, my product is six weeks behind schedule and I'm paying five times as much. And the mainstream media hasn't hit this so much or so hard. So it was really a shock to a lot of companies, even though it had already been in place for about six months. Hamburg Sud recently said, and tell me what you think about this, they said rates will remain high as both equipment and space remain a challenge on all markets. In order to serve our customers better and offer a true end-to-end -end solution, we are therefore concentrating our efforts on carrying business, which offers the best revenue value potential. Now, if you look at that agnostically, you go, well, fine, they're a business. They can do whatever they want. However, in this market, that's quite a controversial statement because of what shippers are going through. Yeah. Break it down for us. Yes. Um, well, really, it's... Um, people tend to forget that this is still a, a regulated market. It used to be that when you signed a contract, you could meet two other contracts and that would give you an allocation. So, so what a lot of carriers are doing, Hamburg sued, uh, um, uh, everybody else is, is, you know, it's, it's basically, we want to finally make money and uh, they're doing it. They're, they're printing it. And there are no rules anymore. There used to be a set of rules. It used to be, for example, when they when they implement a PSS, it could be mitigated or negotiated. Right now, there's no negotiations. Uh, they're just going whatever direction they want to go. Um, quite frankly, Hamburg Suit doesn't really offer an end-to-end -end supply chain. That's what most of the forwarders and NVOCCs uh, offer because they've got boots on the ground, both the origin and destination. So, so really. Some of this is just marketing, um, uh, and a, a lot of this is, is is really just, okay, we're in a situation now where we can make a lot of money. Um, a number of people have commented, it's about time that the carriers made money. Uh, but I used to negotiate contracts on the carrier side, and I can tell you, uh, whenever I negotiated contracts with some of the biggest players, they never asked us to lose money. It, it really, the last 20 years has been the carriers going for market share, building larger vessels, um, uh, taking rate actions to take business from others. And, and now you have them in a different situation to where they can, you know, pretty much get what they want. Yeah. So when we're talking about this, if you got surcharges and then you've got demurrage and all this other kind of stuff, we've got extreme congestion. Yeah. Right? And I, I think we, we have a map. Can we throw up the yeah, map? Yeah, we have a couple of different images here showing you uh, the boats that are in San Pedro Bay as well as the container maps. So if we can throw those up, that would be really cool. Um, there we go. Yeah. Look, I mean, uh, we're back here. We, kept, we were at 30. We're at 40. What, February 1st, I think we were at 40. And then we dropped 40. down. We had like as low as nine. Now we're back up to 30 again. It's going crazy out there. Uh, how do we solve this issue? Well, I understand what has happened. Um, you know, the carriers have used blank sailings, you know, going back to last year to sort of manage um, the, the rates. That's how they got the rates initially 
uh, up, particularly during the contract time when they're negotiating contracts. This is what I call a, a part of the asset chain being broken. You know, I, I was on the phone with China this morning and I was being told that, you know, labor in China right now, gangs to work the ships, there's a shortage. So vessels are delayed in China. Factories are backed up because they can't get containers on the line, uh, on, on the ship. Uh, in the meantime, as they arrive in San Pedro uh, or Southern California, um, if you recall, a week or two weeks ago, the the uh, UP had stopped moving trains to mm -hmm. uh, Global 4 uh, Intermodal Terminal in Chicago because they were so backed up there. And, of course, the BNSF started metering the 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 same uh, routing going into Chicago. So what you see there is you see a um, a backup of the of the supply chain, um, really the asset chain. So whether it be what I call the uh, when I say the asset chain, the handoff between the the containers, the terminals, the carriers, the the terminals uh, on the destination side, the truckers, including the chassis, the rail, and the truckers again everything's become gridlocked. So, and I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Mm. The one aspect of this that I don't, I think people don't realize is that, you know, we, we've had all of these black swan events like Ever Given and Yantian. And so what has happened is the vessels are so far out of sync. Imagine yourself booking against a vessel in Shanghai and you've got a contract and you've got an allocation of 10 containers. That vessel doesn't show up for a week. What happens? You're backed up. Do you think the container is going to give you another vessel to put it on? No, it's going to get backed up and further backed up. That's what's happened to Yantian. That's what's happened everywhere. John, before we let you go, and the speed dating rounds go really, really quick, I got to ask you, do you think there really is collusion? And even if there is, is there anything anybody on Earth can do about it? No, there's nothing anybody can do. I mean, you know, you probably can't prove collusion, you know, and the carriers have antitrust immunity, um, uh, so it's it's what a matter of they're that? following one another uh, all the way up, <laughs> um, and they're printing as much money as possible. So, really, I think what's happening now is the FMC and the and the Department of Justice are coming together to try and address this, and that's probably the only way it'll be addressed. John, people, I'm sure you, I heard your phone ringing off the hook, so I'm sure there's people who have to uh, touch earlobes with you very soon. Um, but if, if any of our listeners do as well, they want to get a handle on this freight market, they need some additional consulting, where should we send them to? Well, you know, I, I, I do send out a weekly blog on COVID and the supply chain. and have been since March of 2020, where I touch on all these issues. They can reach for, out for me at john, johnmonroe.com, J-O-N at J-O-N-M-O-N-R-O-E.com. Um, and, uh, uh, and I do this as a service. I'm happy to put anybody on my distribution list, uh, that wants on it. Thanks, John. We'll get you on, we'll get you on again next month too, to see if this thing has unwound any better, but I don't think so. Cause today's the first start of what Port of LA calls the beginning of peak season. Yeah. <laughs> there's already 30 containers waiting. John, we'll catch up. There with is you no soon, peak man. season because there there's is, no Valley. It's there's perpetual. No yeah. yeah it's right. just a perpetual it's peak a plateau season. plateau is yeah. what it is. Thank you once again, John. <laughs> well, before we get over to our next guest, we got to tip the band one yes, more sir. time. We, with fully finished state-of-the-art repair trucks and a full array of roadside tools, you can expect the safest, fastest, and most painless response for your fleet from Love's Truck Care and Speedco. Learn more at Tell'em, dude. Hey, man, go to loves.com immediately after this show.
Let's talk to Jim Mancini, VP of North American Surface Transportation at CH Robinson. And we're going to talk about their investments in the renewable energy business. Hey, Jim, good seeing you. Hey, like, nice to see you guys as well. Thanks for having me on. How do you sleep at night? Is it, is it tough these days? You know, after the uh, guest you just had on, it's going to make it even harder to sleep going forward, I think. But, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's, I think the, you know, it's well publicized. It's talked about all the time. The markets are a challenge. Um, I, I think it's, it's, uh, it, it's just, it really reinforces the need to collaborate and come together and, and solve some of these problems collectively. Well, Jim, C.H. Robinson, I know you guys want to get your messaging out about renewable energy, and I know a lot of companies are trying to get get that out there. So what are you doing from from your end? I know that uh, your renewable energy business has grown by, what, like 654%, um, and it's going to be $2.5 trillion worldwide by 2025. So this sounds like a big investment by your company. Yeah, I think the answer in short, we're doing a lot, and, and you, you touched on it, that growth rate over the last three years renewables drive about 40% of the the overall energy portfolio so it's it's something we've seen a lot of growth in recently and and what's unique about the space is it requires a really specific focused area of expertise so you know we we have project logistics teams that help really beyond that transaction that help us and help developers more importantly get these projects and bring them to life in addition to that you know we I know on, our, on this show before, we've talked a lot about technology and our investment there, and we continue to invest in providing visibility to, to developers and helping them track these items all down to the smallest parts and components and the energy projects, um, track them all the way from origin all the way through to their delivery spot. So we're, we're doing a lot in terms of technology. We're doing a lot in terms of our global suite of services, as well as our experts in the field. Yeah, so Jim, talk talk about renewable energy. What are what are we talking about exactly? What are you guys moving? Uh, break it down into layman's terms. What are those hurdles that you're what you're looking at? Yeah, so when we talk about renewables, we're talking largely about wind and solar. So if you think about it, it's the it's the wind uh, the wind the windmills the blades it's the solar panels it's the components that go into to uh, to all these projects and the creation of them and the construction. So it, you know the the again the, the sector's booming. Uh, there's a lot of global sustainability pledges, both by by governments, corporations, and there's a ton of demand at the consumer level to get these projects put out there and, and brought to life. You know, at the same time, as as your last guest talked about, and as you guys talk about, there's a ton of supply chain challenges out there right now. And so the gap here is there's such demand for it, and yet the, the need for a viable supply chain exists. And when you think about these projects, they're built on really tight timelines, so it's not a normal fulfillment cycle. It's something that says, hey, this project's coming up. We need X hundred containers to go from here to there to be at the site to be able to put in and meet the construction crews to do them. And what, you, know, you talked about in layman terms of the wind turbine, one single wind turbine takes nine separate highly specialized truckloads to get transported. Right, So the blades can be long enough to sweep an acre. Uh, each one of those is going to be hauled separately on a on a, on a type of trailer that's specifically designed for blades. And, you know, you multiply that by hundreds for the larger wind farms that are out there. And another part that's unique about this, this renewable energy space is just where these construction sites are. So this, the product is coming from all over different parts of the world, but it's ultimately delivering to very rural locations, sometimes in the middle of a desert. There may not even be a road that takes you there, right? So all of this has to go into the planning where you're going to then put dozens to hundreds to thousands of individual shipments to ultimately deliver. 
And, you know, when you're renting a crane for $100,000 plus a day, you've got crews of 25 to 75 people waiting there to work. Unexpected delays really exacerbate those challenges that we're talking about and the pain of being late and the pain of not knowing where things are exponentially impacts cost. So, you know, I, I would say that what we get requested a lot is to help help suppliers understand from a technology standpoint, where are these items? Where are these black holes? Where are these potential risk areas? Jim, what do you think of this meme right here? How true is this? Is uh, is this the next best date location? <laughs> it's not a bad spot, yeah. It's so expensive, <laughs> I'll buy all the containers. Now, <laughs> I, I was looking at this. Five supply chain barriers pose the biggest threats to keeping up with the world's demand for green, en- green energy. The five are special equipment needs, unpredictability, global supply chain visibility, tighter budgets, and strict timelines. Are all those weighted equally? Which one of those do you think is going to be the hardest to overcome, at least in 21? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And I think in kind of in concept, they're all weighted equally. But depending on the time that you're dealing with your project, they're going to weigh differently. I would say right now, the specialized equipment that, you know, that that's that's a challenge today. It gets exacerbated, but it's always been a challenge because the equipment is by nature specialized and there's not a lot of it. And so the ability to find those pieces of equipment, have them ready when you need them, requires really deep understanding of what the carrier marketplace looks like. It requires a really deep understanding of the equipment and uh, having people in place to support that. Um, and, and I think the, the the visibility part is kind of overarching over this is that you know knowing where product is at any point in time and being able to forecast delays, being able to understand where risk is coming from in the supply chain, I think it just can't be stated enough. A lot of this equipment's manufactured in Asia and Europe. So as you talked about with delays at the port, as you talked about the inability to find space on ships, uh, as well as when it hits land, all the challenges that you encounter with uh, capacity challenges today and not enough equipment to meet that demand, it all gets compounded. And so you don't want to be adding to the unpredictability as a developer or as as someone leading this project by just simply not being in the know. Yeah. So, Jim, when you talk about the visibility and the strict timelines that are there, I get it from the and it's quite obvious from the from the physical uh, movement of these. Right. you got to have certain things lined up and ready to go and you got to hit this, then this, then this in a specific order. But also due to these backups in the in the supply chain, isn't order ordering and, and PO administration, that type of stuff, very, very important in this type of project? Oh yeah, for for sure. It's it's it gets down to the actual manufacturing of the product and who you're sourcing from and how how their capabilities are to to get that product out and brought and and delivered and and just depending on how you're managing that, I think it all holistically comes together as as part of the same conversation. You can't plan in one area of isolation without the other. They've all got to be working in concert. Now, Jim, next time you guys are going to move one of those big turbines, shout out to your boys over here. We want to, uh, we want to, we're very interested in those trucks, yeah. you know, the ones with the drivers, because you, you usually have like a driver in the front and a driver yeah. in the back. So yeah. you get a driver in the middle, moving those turbines around. We definitely like to, um, we'd like to do a piece on one of those projects next time. So yeah, we, I, I'd, I'd love to, we've got, we've got some great photos that we put out. So I'd, I'd love to loop you in on that because they're, they're, they're amazing. And the work that the teams do, our project logistics team and the actual drivers that are moving the product. It's an amazing thing to see as it all comes together. Yeah, I'll talk to you about it offline, and we'll we'll get something together. Okay. But in the meantime, people who want some help with their uh, renewables, they want to work with C.H. Robinson on this, where do I send them to? I would say first spot is to go to our website. There's a great landing spot for our energy vertical, specifically a renewable space. You can go there at chrobinson.com. You could see the different, the, the different pictures of what our capabilities are, a greater explanation of services. 
as well as you can start to connect with an expert. And so our, our teams are ready. We're, we're there to talk to you. So if you have not engaged with us and you are a developer, we're, we're ready to talk through what some potential opportunities are to help. Thanks, Jim. Take it easy, man. Thanks, guys. Take care. All right, everybody. It is time to play it forward. It's time to rock out. It's time to throw up your horns and get a little metal because we're playing a track from Icarus Rich, which is called Lightning Strikes. Roll the tape. Jason Myers. I've known this guy for my first real job was with this guy. Actually, I carpooled to work. I'm keeping the tradition alive. I carpooled into work with this gentleman today in Hollywood. I used to carpool into work all the time when this gentleman when I used to work at a record label. What's up, brother? What's happening, guy? It's metal. I was yeah. 20, almost 22 years ago. Yeah. 20, it's too long. Too I long. also play the bass as well, so he's keeping that tradition as well. Not quite as well as you do there, but I was watching. So are you picking that or are you finger picking it? Fingers, man. Yeah, all me too. Yeah, all fingers. I love it that way. Bass nerd a little bit. What do you run on? What kind of cabinets you got? What bass are you playing? Because this guy knows it all about bass. <laughs> well, uh, I'll shout out uh, Aguilar Bass uh, Amplification because that's one of my uh, my endorsement sponsors. Um, and I've been with them for close to 15 years now. Um, the bass in that video is a Spectre. It was sort of like a dream bass I've had since I was a kid. But primarily, I play Fender. I'm kind of a traditional guy, like Fender Jazz Basses, American Made. Yeah, nice. Yeah, no. Yeah, sound design. I, I, I uh sound design and a hard key is what I'm hitting. But I'll uh, get it done. Hey, yeah. well, you know the other the other thing you guys have in common is Hollywood. He's got a bunch of that. Another client of yours, and I think that we've talked about him on the show. Maybe about a, maybe it's like your first show, right? Could have been the Hollywood furniture. It's a yeah. he got some of that stuff. Yeah, but tell it. us tell us a little bit about what you do. And when you're not promoting your band or going out on tour, you're also doing PR and promoting companies, right? Yep, that's right. So, yeah, so you said it. I um I do digital marketing. Um, P, uh, PR is a specialty of mine. Uh, primarily focusing on like sustainable brands. That's sort of my my passion. So I always try to work with clients that have uh, a corporate responsibility at their at the core of their business. Um, and I do social media marketing as well for various brands. And I've been doing that for about ten years with uh, the Content Factory. So the the way the two of those 
worlds came together. I used to try to keep those worlds apart, but they're inseparable now. Um, I was going on tour a lot uh, about 2009, 10, the band was really taken off. And um, a lot of times you're not making a ton of money on the road with a band, with an independent band. So a lot of times you'd come back from the road and everybody's like scrambling for work or hoping they still have a job or, <laughs> you know. Uh, so I was thinking, well, geez, we, we probably actually work about an hour out of the 24 hours that were on the road. So there's a lot of dead time that was being wasted. So I started looking for places that I could do remote working, which was not very common back in uh, 2010. And I hooked up with uh, a company at the time and the founder of the content factory, Carrie, was sort of a visionary uh, in that regards. And she hired me to do PR and social media, basically trained me on their method. And I was doing it on the road. I was I was doing the back of the van. Everybody was sleeping. I'd be in the back of the, the tour bus or the tour van on a meeting with, with some client or something. But it helped me to keep money flowing in while I was on the road. So there was no real breakage in time. And it helped me kill time and stay out of trouble on a lot of these tours as well. What would 80s rock have looked like if remote work was a thing? I don't think Vince Neil gets in that car accident. I mean, <laughs> would, would it be a big change? <laughs> Shout at the email or something? It'd be like a completely different world. <laughs> you said sustainability is a big thing. It is. And we see it on our side of the fence, too. We actually just had C.H. Robinson on who wanted to get their messaging out yeah. about what they're doing with renewables. Big, big deal right now in supply chain, I'm sure, everywhere. And it starts because the customers, a lot of these shippers are starting to demand it. But what kind of tips could you give to our listeners on what's good in PR now? We deal with a lot of small companies who are listening. How do they start getting their message out there? Well, I, I think the biggest thing in PR right now um, in terms of sustainability is that there's almost like a backlash against it because that you have what's called greenwashing, where every brand sees now a marketing opportunity and mm -hmm. how, how green they are or uh, things of that nature, whether or not that's even true. So a lot of people sort of fudge the numbers or just throw out like meaningless things like natural food, which you don't really need to certify with anybody for that. But for something like Fairtrade, one of my previous clients, uh, they, they go through like a rigorous um, certification process to to make sure that they're living up to their corporate uh, sustainability um, initiatives. So that's one of the things that I always uh, recommend that clients or that companies do when they're looking for somebody to to promote their them on a PR level is is try to try to hook up with an agent or a PR firm or if you're doing it yourself, just really look for the people that are writing about sustainability from a, an honest place um, because though if not you'll you'll get you'll get nailed <laughs> you'll you'll be exposed if if you're a fraud and I've seen that happen too so um, just just it's just yeah. networking like like any other form of PR it's just sort of become a niche that I've uh, slid into over the years because then it doesn't feel like work. You know, if I'm, if I'm, if I feel like I'm putting my, my, uh, professional time into to getting the word out about companies that are doing the right thing, then I feel better overall about the way I'm spending my life <laughs> and the yeah, way I'm using yeah, my, and my, yeah, I agree with you hundred percent, Jason. I feel the exact same way. And I love what you're doing there with that. And the greenwashing thing is really important, not only from the, the legal aspects of it, because I see, you know, some of them saying, Hey, we're going to be, uh, you know, hundred percent electric vehicles by 2050, right? Mm -hmm. If they're not making those moves meaningful, they're going to get nailed eventually. Right. But isn't it also true, Jason, to get that out there through your PR, et cetera, and have that great initiative and have it there because consumers nowadays will gravitate more towards those that are actually proving that they're green, right? And have the sustainability that is actually working, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. And it, it can be confusing too. There's so many labels out there on, on packaging and on products. It's, you know, like I, I'm a vegan, so I'm, I'm used to like searching for that little V to make, sh- to make sure that the food I'm getting matches the, that set of ethics. But now there's also fair trade, there's, you know, green, there's, uh, you know, organic certified non-GMO and, uh, and that kind of stuff that applies to the food industry also goes for just regular companies. Now, regular packaging, we've got like B corporations and uh, different, different levels of, of ways to prove yourself, to prove that you're, you're, what you're doing is the real deal that you're not just blowing smoke. <laughs> so those are the kind of companies that we try to work with one again, ones that, um, that are trying to make money. You know, we want to make money too. We want to help them hit higher levels and become more, uh, more well-known. And that's where the publicity comes in. Um, but there's ways to do that and, and still not sell your soul and still <laughs> maintain some ethics. What's a good, what's a, what's a strong trend in publicity right now? Something that, that nearly anyone, like when you're, when you're evaluating companies, right? What's the biggest mistake and the, and the biggest thing, right? You're seeing some companies do maybe organically on their own. Um, I think just, I think you're seeing a lot more um, direct conversations with CEOs where they'll, before that was sort of like, you know, the executives were off in their ivory tower somewhere. Now I think consumers want to know who, who the face behind the brand is. So um, you're seeing a lot more transparency in that where the CEO will be out front, whether it's uh, doing interviews or on the, on the blog or whatever um, and, and telling you where they stand. And a lot of times the the ethics of a company will will start at the top there and trickle their way down. So um, I think that's one of the trends that I've noticed a lot more is that the CEOs can't can't hide in a in a boardroom anymore. They have to be out there uh, walking the walk, and consumers want to know who who's making the products, what how the employees are being treated, what the supply chains like. All of those things now matter to whereas like 15 years ago, nobody really gave that much of a consideration except on the very like fringe uh, aspects of, of PR. Yeah. I mean, just in the, the world of podcasting, yeah. I've, I've noticed the same thing, at least in the, the logistics world. When I first started out, it wasn't that, and may, you know, maybe it, it, I've warmed up the stove quite a bit over the past few years doing this podcasting, sure. but now it's just like this completely natural thing. And it's natural across all industries. Great, great for our own growth, but smart also because you get to put a face and a name to these kind of things. And it's just yeah. not a bunch of marketing copy. This person has to stand by their words and, and save live and be recorded and doing so. Hey, Jason, we really appreciate your time today. Um, before we let you go, we got to spin this wheel of stupid questions over here, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So spin that around, <laughs> Michael Vincent. Spin We're the wheel and make the deal. Some stupid wheel here. Ooh, All what right, do you got? Go. Dealer's choice, my friend. Oh, okay, I'll go for this one then. All right. Would you rather know the history of every object you touched or be able to talk to animals? Hmm. Well, I, I mean, I already sort of talk to animals on a regular basis. Um, history of every object. Oof. I think that would be frightening and could probably send you into like some kind of Lovecraftian madness. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's a slippery slope there. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in terms of you know, the supply chain, it would come in handy. You pick up a bag of beans, you're yeah. like, okay, who, who farmed this? Who, you know, who packed this? Who shipped it to my door? So in that regards, it'd be cool. But yeah, it's sort of like you're opening up a Pandora's box, kind of like there was a time when I thought, boy, I'd love to read people's minds. And then social media came along and I was like, no, yeah. <laughs> I, I changed my mind. I don't want to know what any of you are thinking anymore. It's horrifying. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, you're very... You're- you're a very smart man, Jason. That's why I've been friends with you for over 20 years. People who want to hear your music and they want to work with Content Factory, which two, which two locations should I send them to? 
Uh, I'll start, just go to the .coms. So that's a good place to start. So IcarusWitch.com has links to all of our socials. We're pretty active on those socials where you can get more updated information. And for, um, for PR, if you're looking for PR or SEO, uh, that's one of our, our agency specialties or uh, social media marketing, you can go to contentfac.com. So it's awesome. the word content in FAC.com. And that has a lot of information about Hey, next time we sign, we got to get that that Telecaster off the wall there and hear some hear some licks off of that. It's a nice looking. Yeah, tele- actually, that's I spoke about my um, my boss. She uh, she was kind enough to gift me that, uh, and so I'm trying to learn to branch out a little bit and play guitar. But but you know, now that's a nice one. I love the Telly. I love Ooh. the Telly. Nice. Oh, well, a little cowbell for that, uh, that for your boss for getting X. you that guitar. Um, too bad you don't know the, the entire history of that object that you just touched. But Jason, <laughs> once again, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Good to see you guys. Yeah, you Peace. too. What would you pick on that one? Uh, dog, animals. Talk, yeah, to animals. talk to animals? Yeah, the, the objects, you know, some things you probably just don't want to know. Yeah. Or it would be like too much information. It would be like, how yeah, many just, people sat at this desk? Like, what's that? Good. Anthony, Kevin, I, like, I don't even yeah, know. Yeah, like, Sometimes you're better not. Off yeah, don't. But on the other hand, some would argue like the big benefit of animals is that like you can talk to them, but they don't talk back. Like there's there's therapy in that as well. Well, I speak. <laughs> All right, speak to you a little. That's right. That's right. They could be like. <laughs> What's going on here? Okay, this is this is a kind of well. Well, I'll, you'll be the judge of this one. According to CDL, okay. according to CDL Life, a truck driver was arrested after stopping to pee in an orchard field. Uh, what happened is two locals contacted police to report that a tractor trailer was parked alongside the Dickey Farms orchard, and they suspected the driver was taking some of the peaches. The two then took it upon themselves. They blocked the trucker in. They didn't let him go. They cornered him. And uh, when police arrived, the 54-year-old trucker, Mark Allen Dingler, he was leaning against the rig next to a big old pile of peaches <laughs> and explained to the officer that he'd pulled over to pee and saw some peaches lying on the ground. So he just took them. The problem is he took like 15 pounds of them. Um, <laughs> Dingler, he was taken into custody and charged with theft by taking. But what do you say? Big deal, little deal. <laughs> I think it's incredibly impressive that you made that entire thing up. <laughs> I didn't make any of this up. I know you didn't, but come on. I mean, Dickey Farms, the whole thing is... Uh, this really silly. happened in Georgia. Uh, I think it's... A, I think it's a, unfortunately for uh, Mark Allen Dingler, it's a very little deal. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait a second. What are you there saying you about him? I don't know. Nothing. I don't know. Anyway, so, right. here's here. I got one for you. All Bolt right. Custom. Okay. You hear Bolt Custom? Uh, You're no. about to hear about Bolt okay. Custom. Bolt Custom Trucks has tricked out this Volvo VNL with a 150-inch sleeper that includes, get check it out, a kitchen, a toilet, a shower. It's there. Look at how decked out this thing is, man. Wait, it, it, wait, as a toilet? It's got everything on it, man. Well, if it's we gave this to Dingler over here, you wouldn't have to go pee in a field of a. Uh, and he's got plenty. He's got a refrigerator and everything for those 15 pounds of, <laughs> 15 of, of, pounds of, peaches. of peaches. So, yeah, look, there it is. There uh, there's you go, a bro. toilet. Well, remember we had that guy on who was saying that he needed the toilets and trucks? Why aren't there toilets and trucks? Um, we did look a little into this. So this would be a bigger deal if not for one thing. Now, you see how long that, that, that truck is, right? You it's can't 12, pull. Well, just the cab is 12 and a half feet. So you can't pull, you can't legally pull a 53. I believe the law is 65 feet. So you can pull like 40 maybe. Yeah. So you could do your little Dre with it? I think you do Dre, you do hot shots. If you go to Bolt and check them out, yeah. they, it's a pretty big deal because they do all kinds of sprinter vans and all kinds of different things. I'm I not mean, trying it's to really nice. Opinion, so. It'd be a big deal if someone gave me one. 
Yeah, I mean, it would, right? <laughs> I'm sure it's cost, it's cost prohibitive. I mean, if this was like a low cost solution every trucker could have, and if suddenly they could live like they're in an RV, but it's their truck, it would be a huge deal. Wait, could you put just pull an RV with it, or would that, is that redundant? Uh, it looks like it's powerful enough to. Here we go. Extreme high voltage. Over the past few years, we have noticed an increase. This is from the police. They said we have noticed an increase in people. This is in Utah, by the way. Florida man competing with Utah man now. Over the past years, we have noticed an increase in people hammocking from the power lines on the bench of the North Ogden and Pleasant View. And they're hanging from this tower over here, right? There's 75,000 kilowatts that go through there. Rocky Mountain Power Company sick of sending the sheriff's department to share these guys out of their hammocks and i guess people are going up there they're just uh they're just hammocking they're saying look you could fall you could get electrocuted uh, p- parents passes on your children quit climbing the towers it, and for you for those who don't know hammocking is what it sounds like too it's like taking a hammock and stringing it like extreme hammocking is like in there you would take it against the trusses right you would- yeah it's like an actual deal man i mean you you look it up look up extreme hammocking and then click on images and some of these people are not it looks like fun i'd never do it there's no way, <laughs> especially not with 75,000 kilovolts flying by me. Well, is it? They said, I mean, what, uh, is this a big deal because uh, the numbers are increasing or is it still not like en- enough people doing it? Well, I think it's a big deal if, they, if we start having all our power lines with, with hammocks and stuff. <laughs> I haven't seen anyone. What would be the best part to do that in, in Chattanooga? No, wait, don't. Actually, that could be irresponsible. So yeah, no, I'm not going to even We talked about that you back never in know. the locker room, but I'm not going to. You never know <laughs> it's with not here. I know. I think Two the of bigger our deal is that started I think, hammocking. I think the bigger deal is we have a business opportunity here, my friend. I think we start building these things and, and start charging people. Airbnbs. We make hammocking uh, hostels. Yeah. Why not? Hopefully they don't have all the charges that Airbnb does. That's that might be why they're extreme. <laughs> I mean, the views look great. You can't fault them for that. It just it seems like uh, you know you're going to end up a meme or something or in a in a grave. Yeah, exactly. So here's a big deal, little deal. All right. And Grace Sharkey, she is a big deal all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. Excellent reporter. Love having her on. Walmart honors drivers in Everyday Heroes program. Walmart recently honored a driver from Mint Hill, North Carolina, as part of its Everyday Heroes program, created in, war- in partnership with PepsiCo to celebrate team members who go above and beyond for the customers and individuals in their communities. April Coolidge's dedication during a time of personal and COVID pandemic-related challenges placed her among 12 employees who will be recognized on Walmart's web site for their goodwill and passion for making a div- difference what do you think big uh, deal little deal well i mean uh, it's the, here's the big deal part the associate right so they're going to be using your and i wonder how much they pay you because that could be a big deal too but oh, yeah. the associate will be featured on various frito-lay products and marketing materials where consumers can use a qr code to learn more about the workers efforts but if you had that ability right if you had that yeah. ability to know the history of every product you touched would you even need qr codes anymore no, you wouldn't. You could just you could just touch. Well, unless it was information about something that didn't touch it. So That's yeah, true. in this instance, I, you would. You would. You're right. Yeah, yeah. you're smarter than I am because I would be like, we'll just you know, they just have superpowers. I guess it's Get cool. Lucky. Yeah, it's really cool that they're recognizing everyday heroes instead of just putting like LeBron James and Space Jam on the cover of that. I don't know if you've even noticed. Like, I bought yeah, I bought like oranges recently that had like they were like frozen oranges. Not like Frozen the movie. Like, they, they'll put marketing on anything, right? <laughs> they were so, I mean, Disney gets enough love. Marvel gets enough love. All these companies get enough love. So why not put some everyday heroes on the front? I love when, like, Frito-Lay, when they have that, like, make-your-own-potato-chip. You know, they put out, like, the four oh, yeah, potato yeah, 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 chips, yeah. and you, you yeah. vote with your mouth or whatever yeah. it's called. And they put on the back the person who came up with the flavor. Yes. You know what, though? I heard an awful story. So there's this, like, story that goes around that this one guy, he made these spicy hot, the spicy hot Fritos that, like, Jenner, or he's like, yeah. At Frito-Lay, it turns out, like, they, that story is highly disputed. 
There's like a Ooh, big controversy really around the story. Happen. Look it up. I always thought this guy was like a hero, but I guess he just tours around and um, I mean, allegedly just tours around. Didn't actually make it himself. It's like folklore. I didn't mean to destroy any dreams here. Don't don't put your dreams up. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Tuner. Find him at Vincent the Dude. Vincent, tell him how to be with the rest of the day. Peace and love. Peace and love. Spread it everywhere. <laughs>